0: Welcome to God Knows Where, I'm Brett Harris. We are gonna turn back to Jesus this week after that difficult look at Dinah's story last week. But like last week's episode, the overlooked or avoided or whatever we wanna call these stories we're looking at in this series, the story we're looking at today probably deserves more than one episode. Last week's episode certainly deserved more than one episode. Both of them are deep and rich stories and I think the one that we're gonna look at today I think we miss a lot from it simply because of how Jesus is speaking in the story. Anyway, you can be the judge of that after you listen to today. Let me know what you think. Send your questions or thoughts my way. God knows where is online on Facebook and Instagram. You can leave your thoughts or questions there or in a review too. I love seeing those and it's helped others find this show. And while you're at it, if there's something you want to read that will make you think and think about the church differently, check out Starlet Thomas's new piece for Good Faith Media called The North American Church Needs a Fresh Pair of Eyes. It's food for thought for sure. I've linked to it in the show notes. And there are lots of great stories out there to share and to be told. And thank you for letting me be a part of it all. I hope you enjoy today's episode, To Have or To Hold. A reading from Luke 17. Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered, The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. Then he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, or Look here. Do not go and set off in pursuit. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must endure much suffering and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so too it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all of them. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day that Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and sulfur from heaven and destroyed all of them. It will be like that on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, anyone on the housetop who has belongings in the house must not come back down to take them away, and likewise, anyone left in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Those who try to make their life secure will lose it. But those who lose their life will keep it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding meal together. One will be taken and the other left. Then they asked him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I might have been drawn to this story because I've spent a lot of time looking up to the sky around my house, watching for circling vultures, just like the ones Jesus says will gather around corpses ever since our cat went missing a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen any, though, so maybe that's a good sign. Maybe he's just off filming the next Homeward Bound. Who knows? We can hope. But I think more than that image of vultures that Jesus closes with, though, for me, this story gives credence to an idea— to the idea that in those years that we know nothing about, from ages 12 to 30, that Jesus went east, that he traveled way east, traveled far out of the reach of his Jewish upbringing, perhaps as far as India something, before coming home to preach and to teach. I mean, the way Jesus talks here, the ideas and the choices he proposes echo a worldview more akin to that of Buddhism. Now, I have no idea, no knowledge that can confirm if that's true, but if there's one passage in the Gospels that leads me to consider, to imagine the possibility that Jesus traveled east and went on this eastern adventure, it is this strange passage that we overlook all the time in Luke 17. A lot has been written about what may or may not have happened during that period of Jesus' life, but for my money, no one does it better than Christopher Moore in his novel Lamb. It's the story of Jesus' life as told by the lost 13th disciple, Jesus' childhood friend Biff, who traveled across Asia with Jesus for many years, who's the one person who knows what happened during that time. It is, as far as I'm concerned, required reading, or should be required reading for anyone who might be interested in what I have to say here. It is as irreverently hilarious as it is thought-provoking. And in there, in Lamb, more reminds us that faith isn't an act of intelligence, it's an act of imagination. This passage that we just read from Luke 17, it asks us to use our imaginations a lot, to remember and re-envision old stories, to contemplate our own existence, to wrestle with good and evil, to see the world as it is, and to imagine the world as it can be. That's a lot to ask. And that's probably why we ignore it so much. It feels like too much to ask. But more than that, though, this story forces us to make choices. New or old. Past or future. Life or death. This story is drowning in dualism and the kind that we tend to ascribe to those more Eastern ways of thinking. And when we read stories like this one with such choices and considerations, it's easy For us to think of the dualism that we're most familiar with in Christianity, heaven or hell. And then, to think about the rapture. All this talk of one being taken and one being left, it all evokes the thoughts that we have about that day that we've been told about, where Jesus will come and take the good to heaven and send the bad to hell. But this story couldn't be less about that. This story is not about the rapture. It's about a rupture in our minds and in our perspectives that can allow us to see what Jesus says quite plainly the kingdom of God is among you. We can also read this as the kingdom of God is within you. I don't think any of us, though, would argue that we look around the world today, or really at any point in human history, but especially today, and we see the cavernous rifts that we've dug between ourselves for all kinds of reasons and say, yeah, you know what? This does look like the kingdom of God. It's got to be what Jesus had hoped for. Nor do I think that any of us, knowing our failures and our shortcomings and all the dreams we've left deferred and mistakes we've made along the way, I don't think any of us would look at ourselves and think, yeah, this feels like a place where the kingdom of God exists. But we do get glimpses, don't we? We do feel glimpses, Of that kingdom being present all the time. These little moments when in the midst of all the mudslinging and the fear and the doubt, we see clearly that the kingdom of God is in fact among us. That we get it right sometimes in spite of our best efforts. After disasters, when communities come together to support each other as we rebuild. When we lose someone we love and our people rally around us and help us through our grief. When our kids learn about the choices and decisions that adults are making and the judgments we're passing on one another. And they say to us, rather bluntly, this isn't right. These are all little glimpses that we get of the kingdom. And we get them all the time. And the problem is, we think they are glimpses of a world far away, not windows into the world as it can be right now. And Jesus is trying to get us to see that the kingdom of God is never not here. We have a choice to make, a new way to look at the world. He's trying to get us to look at life in a new way because he knows if we do, if we can look at the world as though the kingdom of God is among us, we won't want to go back to anything less than seeing the kingdom all the time. Once we see the world this way, once we realize what he says is true, we won't be able to unsee it kind of like the way I saw the Chicago Bulls logo and the KFC logo the other week. You may have seen these on the internet before, but someone flipped the Chicago Bulls logo upside down and it looks like a robot reading a book. Trust me, look it up. It's hilarious. And someone else, maybe the same person, but I think it was someone else, saw Colonel Sanders with his little flowy bow tie there under his goatee and wondered why he had such a huge head on such a tiny stick figure body. Again, hilarious to look at to think about to wonder why someone would think about it that way but i never would have considered these possibilities i never would have looked at these logos in this way but now that i've seen them that way i can't not see them that way you probably won't either we probably won't be able to go and look at them in the old way again and the same should be true for our lives Once we get glimpses of the kingdom of God, once we're aware of the ways in which the kingdom of God is among us, those moments when we see each other in our world working in harmony, we should do whatever it takes to make sure that that's the only way we'll ever see and experience the world again. And yet, we go back all the time. We believe the glimpses we get are just glimpses. Like Lot's wife, we get tempted all the time to look back, to get sucked back into what was, to what we know, and to the idea that we still have to wait for the kingdom to arrive. The clearest example of this for me is the pandemic we endured. It was a lot of things to a lot of people. It was stressful, scary, seemingly unending and unsettling. For me, it was a wake-up call to the speed at which I was running, and all that I was missing by sprinting everywhere I went. Only when I was forced to slow down and to look at my life and my work and everything about it in new ways, only then did I become aware of how much better the slower pace of life suited me, how much more available and present I was in the moments I had. I don't think I'm alone. I had these visions of a world, maybe you did too, that didn't speed back up, that stayed slow and more local and more present. And yet as soon as doors opened up and masks came off and the possibility of returning to all that we had missed came back, I got swept up in the current and I didn't know how to fight it. I stopped seeing the world with those new eyes I'd gained and I fell back in to the patterns and the routines and the speeds that I had known. And I soon found that I could not keep up. We choose all too often to look back, to go back, to long for a life that looks nothing like those glimpses of the kingdom. But if we take Jesus at his word, that the kingdom of God is in fact among us or within us, then we have a choice to make. We have to choose not to return to that belief that the kingdom of God is somewhere off in the distance. We have to let go of that idea. And to do that, we have to do what Jesus illustrates for us at the end of this passage. We have to make another choice. We have to make a choice between ourselves. Now, I wish I could take credit for coming to see the end of this passage the way I do on my own, but my friend Robert Scruggs planted that seed in my head one Friday last fall. Have you ever felt like you're competing with yourself? that you're torn between what you want to do or what you should do, what needs to be said or done in any given situation, and your fear of saying it or doing it. We've all been there. I don't think we get through a day without being there. I think within us is one self that sees and knows what Jesus is teaching us here is true. That we don't have to wait another minute for God's kingdom to arrive. That what we think we are waiting for is possible right here, right now, right with us. We just have to approach life and living from a different perspective. But there's another self inside us that knows that's quite an uphill climb. That in order for that to be true, all of us have to try. We all have to move in the same direction. We all have to travel at the same speed and push and pull together and not against one another. Oh, and there's only like seven point whatever billion of us on the planet. So it's easy for this to seem impossible. And furthermore, only one self can win. We can only believe that we have to wait or that it's here now. We can't have it both ways. kingdom an empire, whatever we want to call what we have today, they both can't exist at the same time. That is what Jesus is talking about at the end with the bed and the meal grinders. It's not two separate people he's talking about in the bed and grinding the meal. It's two halves of each of us. In order to recognize that the kingdom of God is among us or within us, however you want to read that, we have to be able to let go of that part of us that doesn't believe the kingdom is possible now. We have to allow only the hopeful part of us to remain and continue the work of making it so. That doesn't require all of us to sign on at the same time. It just takes one of us at a time to believe. It just takes you and me choosing to see that the kingdom is among us and to live in it now, to live within the kingdom now, and to invite everyone else to come and join us, to see it this new way. And the more and more and more of us who make the choice to see the world as Jesus sees it, the easier it is for others to see it that way too. And the harder it will become for any of us to see this world as anything other than the kingdom of God among us if we can let go of the part of us that only sees the old ways of doing things as the only way to do them, then we can come to see that Jesus is right. And we won't ever see life or this world or each other or anything the same way. But if we can't let go, if we've got to hold on to that old way of seeing and old way of doing, then Jesus is still right. Whatever we let die Whatever we let go of, the vultures will come and devour. They will come and consume whatever it is that we leave behind. We can let that be the kingdom that's calling us, that's right before us. We can let them consume the kingdom Jesus shows us and tells us and wants us to see right here. Or we can let them come and feast on a world that falls short, that gives up hope, that remains resigned to find it another day. The choice is up to us. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. it would mean the world to me and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short, grace to risk something big for something good, grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.